Welcome back to the Brazos Point Living Room. We are glad to be together again. This week we have myself, Joseph Castillo. I'm the Smokers <laughs> Pastor Yay. of Brazos Point. There we go. I'm introducing myself, Randy, who is also with us. Hello. And we have Michelle, the three amigos, back together. So this week we are in our last week of our current series on isolation. And this week is about marriage. Real interesting. Uh, but jumping right in, the first question I have is, what is something no one can change your opinion on? Is that weird but interesting? Well, speaking of marriage, this is a controversy in our home. Uh, whose tacos are better? Taco Bueno, which is new to our community, or Taco Bell? My opinion is Taco Bell. You cannot change my opinion. Ashley's whole take is that Taco Buenos are fresher, better, healthier looking, more natural, seeming. <laughs> yeah. They are healthier looking. I don't know what's in Taco Bell's meat, but it's tastier. I think it's good to know that Taco Bueno is new to our community, but it is not new to you and Ashley. Oh, no. It's old to us. Yeah. So this is... She's passionate about it. Like, she was so excited that Taco Bueno came to our community. Yeah. And so she's like, oh, finally, Taco Bueno tacos. I'm like, we've always had the bell. Mm. Yeah. But this is an opinion based on decades of research. Decades. (laughs) Mm. You have one, Shelly? Uh, pass. What's yours? <laughs> Mine is something we've never talked about before. It's that I cannot be convinced of why the city of Lake Jackson does not give us <laughs> come on <laughs> trash cans. Can. I know what yours is. You cannot be convinced that Diet Coke is actually zero calories. Yeah, that is true. true. Yeah, you I, feel strongly about things. No, it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> How, I'm looking at a glass of water, zero calories. How can a Diet Coke? It looks the way it is and has all those things in it that have a single calorie. Don't believe it. <laughs> I don't know. Wrong. I don't know what to tell you. Mm, what I is just... your real one? Because we gave those to you. No, the first one was mine. Oh, I cannot the trash be can convinced. Thing? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said we hadn't talked no, about yours I before. I am unwilling to hear any argument contrary to my own opinion. About the trash cans. Mm-hmm. I'm right. I think I'm struggling because I just don't have super strong opinions on that many things. And the ones that I do, I think we've talked about before, like air conditioning is always better than no air conditioning. Um, Randy reminded me that I definitely think driving a manual car is more fun than driving an automatic car. I don't think that can be argued. Um, fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the cool weather is better than hot weather. Even Mm -hmm. if you do get to go swimming or to the lake or to the beach, I still would rather it be like 60 and crisp all the time. Mm. Do you guys fight about the temperature in your home with your... No, we both like it pretty chilly. We do have differences of opinions. If we could have climate controlled zones in the home, like you have in the car, Mm -hmm. that would be a win. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. She can have her seat warmer on while I've got the air conditioner on in the car. Could we design a home like that? That would be a win. You just have to stay in your part of the house. No, no, like or sit in the same seat. (laughs) Yeah, maybe same side of the bed, right? The uh, the other thing is we one way we solve this is I have a little box fan that sits on my end table, and she has a heating pad, and so it's kind of like the ghetto version of climate (laughs) control. Uh, well, it's kind of a weird question, uh, but the reason we're, we're, we started there is because as we jump into a discussion about isolation and marriage and relationships, really, conflict, 
we will be in Proverbs 18 for most of this. And Proverbs 18 verse 2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. And it's such a good verse that hits really probably every one of us. But I just think it's a funny idea. The proverb is about someone who just wants to talk about their own opinion and is <laughs> refusing to hear or listen to anything contrary. And those are at least our own examples of places in our lives where we are the same. So, you know, uh, the beginning of Proverbs talks about that idea that uh, Proverbs 1, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. So with this idea talking about isolation and relationships and, and in marriage uh, of this idea of selfishness, my first question is how is selfish, selfishness the primary enemy of connection? I think going back to verse 1 there in Proverbs 18, you get the idea that their selfishness causes quarrels, right? And so it creates uh, the tension and then the conflict that follows and then that becomes an enemy of connection because it's wanting my way, my ideas, my preferences, my opinions, the things, you know, just I, I got to win. I got to win at all costs and, and I put me over you and I put me and my opinions over the relationship. Yeah. And so ultimately that just, uh, you know, nobody wants to be in, nobody wants to be in that. Like think about what it's like to be in connection with a selfish person. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you, you said me and my opinions, wants, needs. I think me and um, what makes me comfortable over connection, you know, connection isn't always the easier thing to do. It takes effort. It takes intentionality and action on my part. And usually the easier thing is to not try to have connection with depth. And so I find myself putting maybe how I want to spend my time above, you know, selfishly putting that above connection or whatever it is. But I think for me, comfort is what stands mm-hmm. out that's to good. me. Yeah, that's eye opening. And I think that's super helpful too, because it makes it go in other directions, like other insecurities and really selfishness could prevent us from living with authenticity. Right. Because yeah. I want to be perceived a certain way. I want to be seen a certain way. I don't want, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so uh, selfishness could keep us from living with vulnerability because we want to have this sense of security and we're, we're afraid of exposing our insecurities. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm. I like that. This comes out in your message, too. But I like that idea that all these barriers to connection that I I see in my own life and the life of others that really at the core of it, it really is this idea of selfishness. They all boil down to a sense of that. And even when they don't feel like it, when I think I just don't want to be vulnerable or I'm just too busy or all, it's like, if you really drill all the way down, it really does come down to, Hey, I just don't want to do blank. So I think it's really good. And I think one of the things too, I mean, your message is on marriage. And I think one of the things you highlight that I didn't want, I didn't want to miss is you go back to, you know, what is the purpose of marriage. What is God's given purpose for why we engage in marriage? And one of the things you said is marriage is to make us more selfless and to an opportunity to sacrifice. And I just think that was such a powerful idea, just like a reorienting. Hey, what what is the purpose of this thing? And maybe it's not my happiness. Maybe it's not strictly all these other things that come along with marriage, but really God's purpose was man to make me more selfless. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things we want to do in this conversation is broaden the application beyond just the marriage relationship. And I, I think that's true in all relationships. Yeah. Every relationship is is embedded with that opportunity 
for it to make us more and more selfless and sacrificing, whether that's parenting, friendships, work relationships, you name it, you know, like, am I going to choose me over the other person or am I going to put them first? Yeah. Well, one of the things you do say in message, and and I want to go through a few more verses of Proverbs here in a second, but one of the things you do say is that the goal of communication is not to win and not to get our way and not to convince or persuade, but the goal of communication is to be understood and to understand. And that was a, I think it was a huge, just like refocusing of what the, the goal is. So my question is, what's the difference between trying to win and trying to be understood? I think some of this is just recognizing the spiritual nature of this and the spirit versus flesh battle that's going on inside of us. And I think it's that, that fleshly human nature desire to win and to get our way and to persuade the other person uh, that is ultimately, you know, kind of our reflex in communication. And so this reorientation that we're talking about is really a spiritual reorientation where we ask, you know, the spirit to transform our desires in this. And to really move to this idea of mutual understanding where on the other side of communication, I understand you and you understand me, which means that we've each spent the time to be careful, to listen, and to make sure that the other person feels heard and cared for. And I always think about that phrase, listen to understand versus listening to respond. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, am I am I trying to hear what you're saying so that I understand you better? Or am I trying to hear what you're saying so that I either know how to argue with it or even listen to what you're saying so that I know how to maybe offer my own good point about mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Like either way, that's selfish because mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm getting down to how I respond and not just trying to understand you. Well, and one of the things I talk about all the time in marriage coaching is the idea that if, if there's a winner and a loser and marriage is supposed to be a team sport, then everybody loses because when teams, mm. the way team sports work is if somebody on the team got an L, then the whole team gets an L, right? Yeah. And so if there's a winner and loser, then you're not doing this right in that regard. And so thinking about it in terms of winning really isn't even winning. And so reorienting, moving that goal and just having this idea of mutual understanding where we walk away from this, everybody feeling heard, cared for, and loved. I love the idea of just remembering you're on the same team. Something that I've heard counselors say to couples over and over again is your spouse is not the problem. The problem is the problem and you and your spouse are on the same team working together through that problem. And I think that's a simple idea, but it is so helpful to remember we're on the same team. Well, one of the things I love about this whole concept too is we can understand each other. We can both feel heard and not agree. And I think that's so often the deal is like, we, no, 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 I feel like we have to come to a point of agreement. You know what? We can actually walk away from this still disagreeing, but this thing actually moving us towards connection and intimacy instead of disconnection and disunity. And honestly, I struggle with that. One of my pet peeves is when somebody says, well, let's just agree to disagree. <laughs> like it makes me feel like, no, I want you to understand what I'm saying, because I feel like if you understood what I'm saying, you'd probably agree with me. You know, like that's selfish too. Mm-hmm. Well, Proverbs eighteen twelve says, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And one of the things you talk about is in our relationships and our communication and in our marriages, humility is a huge piece. And so my question is, what is humility and how does it play out in our relationships? I, mean, I think this is the way 
of becoming more selfless and sacrificing. And ultimately, when I say that that's God's purpose in marriage, it's ultimately God's purpose for us as followers of Christ, that as we follow Jesus, we become more and more like him in our actions, our attitudes, and ultimately in our character. And so ultimately, if we're becoming like Jesus, then we're going to become more and more humble. I mean, there's no one that demonstrates and displays humility greater than Christ stepping out of heaven into the earth that he created, stepping onto the cross, dying sacrificially in our place when he was the sinless one, dying as a sin sacrifice. Like he is the essence, he is the embodiment of humility. And so if God gives us these relationships, this marriage relationship that's going to be a, a imperfect picture of the love of God, right? That's a representation of Christ, the groom, and the church, the bride. And this is this human kind of display of that. Uh, then that's what it looks like for us to reflect the love of God, for us to be selfless and sacrificing towards one another, and for him to then use our spouse as this person in our life that has more ability, more opportunity, more proximity uh, to move us towards selflessness and away from selfishness. I think that's really good. And I think humility, weirdly enough, because I think it's it seems like such a simple concept, but I think humility can be one of those tricky things that, um, because I think the opposite of it, I think pride can look a lot of different ways. And I think we've talked before about how even somebody that seems to have no confidence and maybe a lower self-esteem and doesn't think highly of themselves, that is still a form of pride because it's still elevating, you know, how I appear to others. And it's, it's also not taking into account God created me and God works through me and God, the Holy Spirit is in me and it's elevating what you think about yourself and what you can do over what we know God thinks of us. Mm-hmm. Well, and like the, when you're talking about this, again, we want to broaden this topic and go beyond marriage. Like I think about the power of humility and how it plays out in our relationships. I think all three of us would agree with this, that, that Greg is a great example of this. Mm-hmm. Like he, he is someone who is extremely confident, yep. um, but he also has a great deal of humility. And it's this idea of, of others first. And, and he puts us first, right? Yes. And he's willing to sacrifice and he's willing to do small things for us to make our jobs easier. And, you know, we've just seen years and years and years of living this out with him while he is in this position, not just as our boss and in a position of authority, but he's in this position as lead pastor, you know, as pastor over us too. And and yet I just see that humility that he demonstrates towards us, you know, fueling connection in our relationship. I think that's really helpful to think of a person that you see humility in and kind of think about that because that helps me even because I think sometimes it's hard to find that line between humility and selflessness and then like being a doormat and yeah, that's what um, made me think of not it. having a voice and things like that. Like nobody would call Greg a doormat. Like he, you know, he does have strong opinions yeah. about things and he, he knows a lot and he's accomplished a lot. He's experienced a lot and yet he's so humble. So that's really helpful. That's like Rick Warren says, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yeah. And I don't know, C.S. Lewis probably said it, whoever else said it, but I've heard it through Rick Warren. And, and I think that's a good example, right? It's not thinking less of yourself, mm-hmm. but it's thinking of yourself less. And man, that's, that, that's the secret sauce to marriage. And I think it's also powerful in all relationships. Hmm. That is good. And yeah. also, Greg listens to this, so he's going to be frustrated that we had this conversation. <laughs> yes, he is. Unlike our moms and our spouses, he's actually a listener. 
Thank you, Greg. Uh, well, verse 21 in Proverbs 18 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And it's just this real descriptive uh, imagery of the power of your tongue and really the power of your words. So my question to you, we're talking about conflict. We're talking about in all relationships and in marriage, in what ways can the tongue kill someone, as Proverbs describe, and in what ways can it give life? This makes me think, you've probably heard this in a sermon before, the idea that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, and how that is the Not true. greatest lie that <laughs> yeah. we tell children. Yeah, words are so hurtful, and maybe even the wounding that happens with words may linger longer than sometimes physical mm-hmm. pain, you mm-hmm. know? So, I mean, what does it look like to use our words to bring about death? Like, what in the description given there that's very um, poetic what does that look like played out well i'll just use a personal example in my own marriage man this was about may june kind of time frame uh i said something in frustration that i immediately wished i could take back Hmm. and uh, and i knew that it came across wrong and there was some truth to me saying this in regards to how i was feeling but there was a whole lot of emotion and energy that made it be unpacked completely wrong, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, and apologized. And thankfully my <laughs> reflex was to apologize. Uh, but I just, I know that even though I didn't mean it and I didn't completely mean it the way it sounded, it was fueled by some things that I did mean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, man, we had to work through that and we had to talk through that and we had to, I had to explain and we made sure that we got to a place of understanding where it was clear what I did mean and what I didn't mean and what I said in anger and what was actually true. Mm. I think something that you talked about um, in your message is that our words really can't be neutral. Like they either are giving life or they're destructive. Even the words that we think are meaningless or that are apathetic or that are neutral, like they're probably really if we stop and think about it and it boils down to what it really is, it probably is destructive because it's not building up a relationship. It's coasting through a relationship. And so I go back to what's easier, you know, what's more comfortable and what is the more selfless thing to do for the sake of connection. And it's words that give life. Well, I think just recognizing too, that saying nothing can be extremely hurtful too. Yeah. Right. Like the, a lack of communication um, and just a, a complete sense of apathy can also be incredibly painful in marriage and in other relationships. Hmm. I, I love this proverb because it is so true. Like if you look at your own life, you look at your own words, your own interaction, like there's no running from the truth of this proverb. Like it really, if you look at yourself in the mirror, you can see moments where your words have been destructive and you can see where your, your words give life in many ways. And I think that's a huge piece of this too. Like the way in which we leverage our words to give life is, is really powerful. So the kind of the last thing I wanted us to talk about is we're talking about isolation. We're talking about conflict in marriage and in all relationships. And I think this is a big one. Uh, And the question is, how do you move a relationship towards connection after anger and bitterness or when one person doesn't want to work on it? Like, okay, I'm in a place where my words have been destructive or they've been destructive to me and there's been angerness and bitterness. 
how do I now move a relationship towards connection? Angerness. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what I said? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Angerness. Um, I mean, I think, I think it's important to distinguish between a couple of things here. One is recognizing like, and go, going back to our relationship with God and how that becomes the foundation for how we relate to others as Christ followers. Our relationship with God is based completely on grace. And it is grace that fuels it and enables it and empowers it and is the part that makes it eternal, right? And so forgiveness is critical in this relationship that we have with God. And then he tells us to go love one another in a, in a similar kind of way and to build our marriages on the foundation of, of grace and, and that kind of thing. And so recognizing that when you're dealing with, when you're on the other side of anger and the bitterness that comes with it, that there has to be grace. There has to be grace for you to move forward. And that forgiveness and reconciliation really are two different things. Um, but ultimately, if, if you know, you can forgive and not reconcile, but you can't reconcile without forgiving. And so ultimately, if you want to move into this place of, of reconciliation, uh, you know, it's going to be fueled by grace. It's going to be fueled by forgiveness, but also you're going to have to take intentional, active steps to move in that direction of connection. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be hard. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is hard. Um, but one of the things, I mean, a huge concept that we teach in, in Reengage, just to do a little plug for Reengage as it kicks off in September for a new quarter. Um, one of the big concepts that we teach is the idea of draw a circle around yourself and focus on the person inside the circle because it's so easy to look at a problem that you're facing as a couple and say and see and say what it is that they contribute to the problem. I see her mess. I see her hard heart. I see her stubbornness, I see her, you know, yada, yada, yada. I see her sin really is what it chalks back down to. And it's the idea of what if you changed your focus, you drew the circle around yourself and you actually look for what it is that you're doing that's contributing to the tension. What is it that's coming from you that's adding to the anger or to the, the bitterness? And, and what you can do with that is work even when the other person doesn't want to work. If the other person's unwilling to work, well, I can still do whatever it is that's inside my circle with God's help. Like, it's hard enough to control ourselves. Quit trying to control your spouse and recognize the power of just doing what's inside your circle and seeing if that won't just change the dynamics of the relationship and move hard hearts towards tenderness and move disconnection towards intimacy. And even if it doesn't, at least you've done your part. Yeah, I think this is another thing, the circle around yourself, that's a re-engage thing, but I think that's another thing that applies to other relationships too, um, is that like I can't necessarily control what you do or say to me, but I can respond how, or I can control how I respond to it, how I react to it, and if I choose to exercise grace or if I choose to do the selfless thing. And sometimes exercising grace and, and showing love is to say to the other person, hey, when you did this, this is how it made me feel. And this is why it made me feel that way. Can we talk about that? Because that shows that you value the relationship. Yeah. Well, and then the other the other piece of that is too, that what we teach and re-engage is everything outside your circle is a matter of prayer. Yeah. Right. So everything beyond your control, you just pray about recognizing that God is in control. And so any reactions, any response, 
responses, any movement that is created on the other side is something that you have to just entrust to God. And and to me, that's so hopeful because we're a hope-filled people that believe that God and only God can transform and change people's hearts and God can redeem any situation. And Mm -hmm. so we just keep praying about the things that are beyond our control. I like that at the end of your message, you talk about make a move in the direction of connection and you get practical. I mean, it's like just what is a next step you can take? And I think that's a helpful thing for all of us to think about. Like, yes, here's a big picture, how to move a relationship and then the right direction you want to be going, but thinking, what is my next step? You know, is it apologizing? Is it starting a conversation? Is it changing my routine? Is it um, like you said, in the moment, in the tension, reorienting my perspective and before I respond. Well, and that's and that's true for everybody, right? No matter how connected or disconnected you are, no matter how healthy or broken you are, like we all can make some kind of move in the direction of connection. Mm-hmm. No matter how broken or disconnected or dysfunctional it is, make some kind of move and see what happens. And if you are connected, if you are healthy, if you are functional, Keep making those moves with intentionality because there is no neutral. You're either going to be moving forward or in reverse. There is no neutral. Yeah. And if you're married, sign up for re-engage. Sign up for re-engage. It's <laughs> starting uh, Thursday, September 22nd, I think. But you can sign up through the BPF app or that QR code tappy tappy thingy. Boop the thingy. Boop the thingy. Boop the, <laughs> boop the tappy. <laughs> and if you're not in a small group, sign up for one. It's time. Cool. Well, I think this was a good series, honestly, overall. I think it was real timely, I think, for me and for every person. Many people I talked to, it's just was really helpful to recognize we are more isolated than we think, and yeah. every person can be better connected. And I think hungrier to connect than we have been before or in a long time. Like I think about how many folks came to the small group kickoff event because they're hungry for connection. Mm-hmm. So timely and we're headed back to John, which I think uh, I just I, I've loved it. I, I hear feedback from others that they've loved it. So I'm excited about headed back to our walk through uh, the gospel of John. And that's timed with the start of small groups. So our small groups essentially are going to be having this Bible study conversation mm-hmm. around the book of John together, which I love. Yeah. Well, this was great. Any last thoughts? Angriness. Angriness. Angerness. 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 That's even worse. (laughs) (laughs) Bittery and angerness. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.